Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. Will you have, if you have a Bible, would you open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? This morning in our scripture that we are going to read today, our first scripture that we're going to read uh, is from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I always think it's interesting to get into the words of Paul, but to also know at what point in his life is he sharing uh, each letter that he writes to the church. And at this point in his life, it's important to know a little bit of background on this man, this missionary, this champion of the early church. At this point in his life, the Apostle Paul has been persecuted. He has been, he is literally in prison. He has been beaten. And he has at many times been in situations where he was literally and physically left for dead. I don't know how your health is, how you're doing, uh, everybody's story, everybody's situation. There's always things going on in the life of our church, but I'm not sure how many husbands are out there that would be truthful. There were some wives that, that threw some elbows in first service when I asked this question, but if you're like me, I, I tend to complain a little bit, or a lot, when uh, I, I get like a, a common cold. Anybody relate to that? Like. Any guys in the house, we just, we get a little sick. I mean, we're not even talking like a big sickness. I, my, my, my fever is up a little bit. My throat's a little, I don't feel too good. And I tend to turn into a, a bit of a teddy bear and a, 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 just a, you know, a little flu bug, a little common cold. And I'm like, honey, will you get me some Gatorade? Honey, will you help me? Any, any guys in the house, you can relate to that? Any wives, are you married to somebody like that? Some of us, a little bit. There was, all right, there's a little bit, right? Some of us guys were like guilty as charged. You know, honey, I don't feel good. I need, I need something. I need something. Give me some vitamin C, right? But I can honestly look at what we're going to hear about from the Apostle Paul. If I had experienced just a small fraction of the trials that Paul has faced at this point in his life, there's no doubt in my mind that I would be a little bit on the, the depressed side. I would probably be... <laughs> probably very devastated. Uh, I would probably be, even in my, my attitude, my posture, I'm in prison, I'm locked up, I would feel defeated. Nobody likes me, right? I, I think of this, 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 this champion of the faith, and yet Paul, we are going to listen to his perspective, his point of view, when he writes these words. He has seen, he has faced, he is in the middle of the worst that the world could possibly throw at him. The worst that the enemy of our souls could ever throw at him physically. And yet the words of Paul are anything of that of a man that is depressed or distracted or, or um, devastated or anything but defeated. If you have a Bible, let's open it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Would you read it with me? He says, therefore, do not lose heart. Would you turn to whoever you came to church with today and say, therefore... Tell them, therefore, 
Do not lose heart. I think it's interesting that Paul begins this chapter and he ends this chapter with this, this phrase, therefore, do not lose heart. Reminding us today, reminding the readers of that day, pointing to, pointing us back to what's important, point, pointing us back to the cross, pointing us back to the fact that our future is secure because of Jesus. So he says, therefore, do not lose heart. Let's continue on. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is utterly convinced that this life is not all there is. When he writes, he is completely and totally convinced that he, he is certain about his place in heaven. I think he's so certain, in fact, that he, he has this clear picture about his future home in heaven that he puts everything else in his life, even the chains that he is in, even the prison cell that he is in, he puts it all in the right perspective. The current trials, the current frustration, the current friend problems, the current relationship issues, the current health issues, the current disappointments, Paul holds all of these in perspective because he compares them to the promise that he has securely awaiting for himself in heaven. I can't help but think a, a clear perspective of heaven allows God's people to think differently. How many of you can remember back to being, I don't know, 15, 16, 17, 18? Anybody, can we remember that far back? Maybe some of you are here and you're in that age gap. Uh, how many of you can, can remember your, your 20s? I remember constantly, like, like how, how many of us remember things like, if you're a guy, like, uh, what was it called? Sadie Hawkins dance. Does anybody remember, like, the stress that went into, like, is anybody going to ask me? Is the cute girl going to ask me, right? And I'm sure, ladies, maybe today you feel the same pressure. It's like that prom situation. What do they call them? Prom and homecoming, right? And I remember, like, thinking back as I got into my 20s, and I was waiting, and then I'm, like, 22, and I hadn't been on a date in, like, years. And then I was, like, 23, and then I was, like, 24, and then I was, like, 25, and still hadn't been on a date, like... Man, is it ever going to happen, right? I remember, like, if I could have in mind, the, if I knew when I was 21, 22, 23, what God had planned for my future, how many of you know, how many of you know that, like, if you knew the wonderful spouse that God had for you, you would have spent a lot less time worrying about all the, the clowns and all the, all the junk, all the dates, all the, oh, my gosh, so I'm not whatever, right? If I would have known what God had in store for me when I was 24, 25, oh my goodness, right? Paul has a clear picture of his future, and it puts everything in the right perspective. Look at verse 17. He says, our troubles are light, and they are momentary. <laughs> would you underline that? Would you circle that in your, in your Bible this morning? He says, my, our troubles are light. And they're, they're momentary. They're, they're achieving for us glory that outweighs them all. By my standards, Paul's problems here are anything but light. And they are anything but momentary. Would you agree with that this morning? 
Paul is in prison. He has been beaten. He is in chains. He says, our struggles are light, and they are momentary. But I'd be going, we have a problem here. God, I'm in jail. This, this is an issue for me. I'm going to be executed soon. This is a problem, right? This is a big issue. It's interesting to me, because of his clear view of heaven, it, it seems like the world and its issues and its arguments and its disappointments and all of the sin, it seems like the things of the world just don't have the same hold on Paul as they do maybe some of us today. It seems like the things of this earth don't have that, that strong of a hold on this missionary named Paul. Well, there's a few things I want to talk about as we wrap up this series on heaven. This is our final week as we get into it. I want to talk about the, the clear perspective that Paul has about heaven. The first thing, would you write this down in your notes? A clear view of heaven. It makes us think differently about suffering. Oh, I don't even like that word, suffering. Has anybody here, right? Like we, we hear about the, the, the book of James when he writes, consider it pure joy when we're going through suffering, right? Because of our trials. I, I don't like that word. I don't like that term. But we, we talk about a man who knows what pain and what hurt feels like. Paul, there's some, uh, some things that happened to him along his missionary journeys. Just about everybody he encountered at one point or another. At some point, some Gentiles wanted to kill him. At some point, there were Jews that wanted to kill him. At some point, non-believers wanted to kill him. At, at some point, the Romans wanted to kill them. They eventually did, right? At some point in his missionary journey, he, the, the, he, he talks about how he was, he was snake-bitten. That he, he, he talks about how he spent a day and night at sea because he was shipwrecked for the things of the gospel. It, it talks about how, remember how Jesus, before he went to the cross, they, they called it that, that flogging that took place. Remember how Jesus received those, those, they called it the 40 lashes minus one, right? Just to make sure they didn't go over. But Paul, the Bible says, Paul received that same whooping, right? That, that some people would die from. It says Paul received... The 40 lashes minus one, he received it five times. This is a man who knows a little bit about suffering, yet it's interesting that he calls our present troubles light, and he says they're, they're, they're momentary issues. Isn't this perspective that Paul has? He, he, it's, it's a man who, who I would say, man, your issues, bro, are anything but light and momentary. These are hardcore issues. This is some serious You've got some health problems to address. I want to look at how does Paul maintain this perspective? If you have your Bible, would you open it up to Romans chapter 8, verse 18? Here's the answer. Paul writes this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, they're not even worth comparing. He says, my present sufferings, it's not even really worth talking about. Yes, I could go on and on and whatever. But he says, my present sufferings, it's not even worth playing the comparison game. When I think about the glory that is going to be revealed in us, remember that, that glimpse that Paul had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that glorious experience. It gave him such a clarity, such a conviction about what was awaiting him. The Bible even says that Jesus, remember this scripture? It says, because of the joy that was set, what? The joy that was set before him, him being Jesus. Jesus was someone who experienced heaven, right? He was an authority to talk about it on this earth because he was the only person who had been there. He said because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
Oh my. The Bible says that Jesus knew the horrific suffering, the horrific pain that he was going to walk through. But because of the joy that was awaiting him in paradise that he tells the, the other thief on the cross, the other murderer on the cross, he tells him about, he says this, this, this present suffering is, is nothing. Isn't that a, a tough perspective? Like when we have a, a clear perspective of eternity, it should change our perspective on suffering. The, the next thing, number two, would you write this down? A clear view on heaven, it makes me think differently about temptation. Would you write that down in your notes this morning? A clear view of heaven, it, it makes us think differently about temptation. I think we all have moments where we can, we can look back and we would definitely acknowledge that, man, we were not looking clearly through the lens of eternity in moments where we lost perspective, where we, where we may have, have blown it. There's something we, we mentioned in week one of this series. And if you missed any weeks, I would encourage you, go back, check them out online. But when we're talking about this hope for eternity, how our view of eternity affects our today. You know, when we talk about sin and we compare maybe our desires or our bad habits, you know, really what it is when we sin, we're accepting a substitute. Right? We're, 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 when we think about heaven, heaven should help us to, to take no substitutes. You might be tempted to, to give up. Maybe you're walking through a season of depression. Maybe you're a, a young person where you felt like, man, all my friends are going to parties. All these people are doing this stuff. Right? And maybe you've had that, like, this temptation to compromise what you know you're about, what you know God wants you to be about. I think when we talk about heaven, it should always give us a, a different view about those temptations. You know what Jesus said to his 12 disciples, the, the closest people to him, look what he said in John chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be what? Don't let your hearts be troubled. How many of you know if you had your, your last dinner with your boys or with your girls or with those that are closest to you, what you tell them and what you express to them, it's going to be some pretty important stuff. And I think what Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying, remember these many rooms that I am preparing. Maybe you're here this morning and you've received a, a frightening diagnosis. Maybe you have a family member, a mom. Maybe you have a dad. Maybe you have a, a son, a daughter, a, a loved one, a grandparent, whoever it may be. Maybe you have someone that Man, they are facing a spiritual and, more than that, a, a physical attack, a physical battle going on with their health. I would say, man, don't skip over these words today. Right? Would you underline that? Would you circle that in your Bible this morning? Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. You know what's interesting for Paul, and I think for us as well, our ability to resist temptation... Our ability to walk through suffering, it's always con connected to our relationship with Jesus. It's always connected to who, who, who has our, our, future, our future firmly in his hands. The reality is, and this is something that's awkward, even with young ones in the room, right? It's awkward to talk about death, isn't it? But the reality is, for each of us, it doesn't matter how, what generation you're a part of. Even when you look at young perfection, newborns, like the reality, it's a strange reality 
that you think everyone in this room one day has an appointment to die. I mean, that's like a sobering thing to even say. It's uncomfortable to even say out loud. Each of us know it will happen, right? Maybe, maybe, he'll, maybe Jesus will come back before, but if not, like we all have a time, an appointment that is on God's calendar, God's time frame where we will pass away. And there's something in our brains, there's something in our nature, there's something about me, there's something about you that we, we like to kind of ignore that, don't we? I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean we, we mentioned it in like week one, we kind of haven't spoken about it in weeks since. It would be no fun to come to church and that's all we ever talk about, right? But the reality is, like, that is a word that makes us uncomfortable. It's, it's something that, honestly, even I think our brains, our, our human nature, our psyche, works really hard at denying it. I, is, is that, would, you, would you agree with that this morning? I think there's something that, like, I just want to deny that that reality is for me. But I think when we face that reality, when we begin to accept that reality, when we, we begin to understand that that is a brutal fact of life, you know, the, today's day and age, we have so many different, there's so much information and so many statistics being thrown at us, but here's the statistic that is 100% true. It is not fake news. It is something that is, you could post it anywhere, is that everyone in this room and on this planet right now, we have a 100% mortality rate. 100%. 100%. And when we begin to accept that, we can finally begin to process life with, with eternity at the forefront, when we begin to, to realize that, man, all of the pain, all of the decisions, all of the suffering, all of the temptation, all of the annoying people, somebody say amen, right? All the people, whatever it is, when we begin to look at those things through the lens of eternity, I think it's so important in that last moment, what did Jesus say? Don't let your hearts be what? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Remember that this heaven that I am preparing for you, it is not an idea, it's not a concept, it's not an abstract, it's not a desire or a hope. It is a literal fact. It's a reality that you are going to experience this place called heaven. If, I wouldn't have told you so, is what Jesus said. So our hope, it's a real place. You see, our conviction about heaven, our conviction about heaven is what will sustain us through the struggles that we face in any difficult season each of us here will have moments where our faith our physical situation whether it's through grief whether it's through loss of loved ones our world from time to time will be shaken the bible i mean it, our, our world our lives from time to time will be turned upside down we will face trouble i think the bible would say we, we, we won't be broken because we will hold on to that truth that jesus said this is not all there is this life is not all there is. We don't believe that life is just random happen circumstance, but that God is orchestrating and he is moving and that one day he will make all things new. That he is behind the scenes. The Bible says he is working what? He is working all things for the good of who? Those who love him. Number three, what does a clear view of heaven provide? Number three, would you write this down? A clear view of heaven makes us think differently about our priorities. Number three, a clear view of heaven makes us think differently about our priorities. When we realize what we do in life actually impacts heaven, right? Now, remember, I don't remember what week, week two, week three, 
we, we've spoke a little bit about what we can glimpse and hope for and what will happen in heaven. Heaven is going to be amazing. If your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it is going to be wonderful for everyone. But, you know, it's fun, kind of a fun fact that from Scripture, when I read it, heaven is going to be wonderful for everyone. But would you write this down? But it's not going to be equal for everyone. You might be scratching your head like, what are you talking about, dude? Right? The Bible says that it, it's not going to be an equal, it's not going to be an equal share for everyone. Remember, we, we spoke about the great white throne judgment, right? Where is your name in the Lamb's book of life? But then we also spoke about the judgment seat of Christ and how, how it actually has this intimidating name. But it actually, the Bible says this judgment seat of Christ, judgment, it's not like what we think of judgment at all. It's this Bema word, this word in the Greek that Paul uses to describe an Olympics award ceremony. He says, when you are in, when, when Jesus says your name is here, you're going to stand before Jesus. He's going to look you in the eye, and he's going to say, well done, and he is going to, the Bible says, reward you. You know, the scripture says that the rewards in heaven, will they won't all be equal, right? I think there's some of us here that, man, we, we work with different people that we go, oh my goodness. Have you ever, I've, I've, I've made a joke sometimes where I'm like, I, I love Mr. Matthew Baker, but I've, I've literally said this about Mr. Matthew. I've said, man, his mansion in heaven is going to be a lot bigger than mine. Have you ever joked like that sometimes, right? Like certain people, you go, you just, you know the way they love the Lord. They just love, it's, it's, it inspires you. But you know, in, in heaven, rewards are not going to be equal. It's not going to be socialism in heaven where we all get a fair share, right? Or, or whatever we think, right? The Bible is clear. The rewards will not be equal. Even in Matthew chapter 25, would you open your Bible, Matthew chapter 25, and maybe you could read that this week. But Jesus teaches this parable of the talents. And if you know this story, there are some, some, some people in that story that they were rewarded differently for how they used that gift God entrusted to them. They were rewarded differently for how they used what God had given them. The way that would sound for us today, you will be rewarded differently. Believing in Jesus, good. It is wonderful. You are in heaven. You're in. But the Bible says one thing about heaven. You will be rewarded for how you used your business skills. You will be rewarded for how you used your personality to connect with people to share the love of Christ. You will be rewarded for how you used your knowledge You'll be rewarded for how you poured into your family. You'll be rewarded for how you, how you poured Jesus into those kids. Matthew chapter 6 says, don't store up for yourself treasure on earth. Would you open your Bible, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to spend some time in this verse for just a moment. Verse 19 and 20. I see that word treasure. And you know what I think of? I think of that scene in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride where you're rolling there through the caves and on the left side is that that man that 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 there's that skeleton on top of the treasure and you have all this precious treasure that's accumulated in that little scene right and yet the there's dead bones on top of it all these precious things that these these pirates in that scene they collected right uh, when we talk about storing up treasure for yourself on earth Obviously, retirement, is that a good idea? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Some of us are like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not sure. Can I answer that question? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? My goodness, absolutely. 
right? Is, is, I mean, is saving money okay? Yes, absolutely. But I think when we, when we talk about it, it says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. I think of this, this treasure like this hoarding idea. This, this treasure where it's, it's, it's like this accumulation of things just for the sake of things. Right? The advice of Jesus is those resources, those things that you have, they're, they're meant to be a total blessing to your community. Storing up treasures in heaven, he would say that's a much better return on your investment. Let's finish this verse. What happens to the treasure we store up on earth? Where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, and your kids argue about it after you're gone. No, I'm kidding. I added that part in there. But store up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I think this verse, if I was going to try to summarize it even in a modern way, I would say spend your, your time, your energy investing in heaven. This is challenging, right? Eternity should influence our actions. It should influence our decisions. I think about myself, I go, how many decisions do I make on a daily basis where I do not think about eternity when I make that decision? You ever think that way? I mean, I'm just saying, like, it happens a lot. I, I go, oh my goodness, did I, what, do I even consider the spiritual dynamics, the spiritual in, implications of this decision, of this statement? The world as we know it, we, 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 we can see from 9-11-2001 just how much the world has changed in that 20 years, can't we? I think it's very clear. The world as we know it will not always look the same. The Bible says he shall return. And on that time, in that day, the Bible says everything will change. Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bible, would you open it up? In verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like what? It says like a thief in the night. It says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You, you blink and you just might miss it. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done will be laid bare. Peter is saying a day is coming. It's going to happen. Be ready. Peter's saying you better watch how you live. Right? He says since everything we see will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Right? Just in 20 years we can see since everything in your country, the, the foundations and the fundamentals of your country, you can say it however you want, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jumping on a political side, but the heroes that ran into the building 20 years ago are oftentimes the same people that we are tearing apart today. Do you see that culturally? When, I mean, we were praising the NYPD 20 years ago. And look at how much the world has shifted in 20 years. Peter says, the day of the Lord is coming. Like a thief in the night, it's coming. God has this day. You don't know it. It's reserved on his calendar. And when we talk about temptation, man, it is all around us, isn't it? They market it well. It looks good. It feels good, right? Temptation, it's a powerful thing. And each of us, man, there are times where we are all guilty of, of, of falling for what feels good in the temporary. We're, we're all, we've all had moments where we have, have, we've blown it. But Jesus wants to remind us. He's like, man, would you, 
constantly renew your mind, constantly speak my name, constantly think about forever in your decision making. So this morning before we close, I want to do some inspecting. We're, we, I, we can't finish off a series about heaven and not expect to maybe make an about face, make a, a, a quick adjustment, make some minor ones or possibly major ones in our lives. So I want to do some inspecting. What needs attention in your life? Would you ask yourself that question or would you write that down in your notes? What area of your life, when it comes to eternity, needs some inspection? What does your time and, and your activity and your, your, you know, what's funny about our smartphones is you could just hand someone a smartphone and you would understand so much about their priorities, huh? Because I would say, man, pull up their iCal. Look at where they're, look at where, what, where they're spending their time. Pull up, we can look at every bank statement known to man, right? Look at where you spend your time, your priorities, who you give access to what, your time, your priorities. A clear view of heaven, number four, the final one. A clear view of heaven makes us think differently about our possessions, what we have, what we are willing to, with open hands, give away. Jesus delivers a frightening story in the book of Luke. He starts out in verse 15 with a, a major warning. Look at this. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against what? All kinds of, say it out loud. Because we've got to wake up as we end service. Be on your guard against what? It says greed. Thank you. Thank you from the one guy in the church. No, I'm teasing. Be on your guard against all kinds of, come on church, greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. In our culture today, I would say this is a wealthy, successful, rich businessman. It says he has an abundance of crops, which seems like a great problem to have. To me, I would say that's like a businessman today saying, you know what, I just have too much money. What a problem, like, right? Does anybody have that problem? I just got too much. I got too much money. I just don't know what to do. Right? So let's look at this plan that he comes up with. Verse 18, he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger barns. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Jesus said, eat, drink, and be merry. He thinks of this plan. The world would probably say, this man is an entrepreneur. He's a genius. He's a billionaire. He's not even a millionaire. He's a billionaire with a capital B, right? The world would probably celebrate this guy. But it's interesting, the perspective of Jesus uses a strong word. There's a word we used to say in the 80s and 90s very loosely. And I think growing up, I didn't realize the power that is in this word. But we used to go, what up, fool? Anybody ever used to say that? The word, right, in the, somewhere, thank you, right? Children of the 90s speak out, right? We used to use the word fool like it was going out of style. But in the Bible, this is a big deal. In the Bible, in this culture, Jesus said God calls this billionaire, God calls this man a fool. The rich man who accumulates all this security, but he's not rich towards 
the things of God. Look at verse 20, if you would, with me. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. It'd be, he'd be saying, man, you, watch out. You, you, could, you could walk out the door and you could be in heaven in an instant. Finish verse 20, if you would, with me. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. God calls this man a fool. The Bible is clear. When we have an accurate view of God, when we have an accurate view of what he has planned for us, when we have an accurate view of heaven, God makes it clear that it should allow us to live our lives loosening our grip on the things of this world. It's totally the opposite of what our culture says is important. It seems like we are obsessed, whether we see it on social media, we're obsessed with information, we're obsessed with acquiring information and acquiring things. But when we obsess over heaven, when we obsess over people coming to know Jesus, when we obsess over eternal impact, the Bible says this world will lose its grip on us. I love that scripture. Oh death, what where is your sting? 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17. Paul writes to his Can we call Timothy Paul's favorite son? He writes to his boy. He writes to like he, he writes to his favorite. There's no doubt in my mind. Paul wants to see Timothy run higher, jump faster. No, I'm kidding. Wasn't that like a commercial or something? Paul wants to see Timothy be way more successful than himself. He's that spiritual dad. He wants to see that next generation just accomplish more than he ever did. And here's some very specific things that Paul passes on to this young, godly man. Would you read this verse with me? He says, hey, Timothy, I'm going to charge you. Timothy, you got to be bold and you got to tell these people. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Ooh, would you underline that? Arrogance is got to be, I think of like pridefulness, narcissism. To me, arrogance has got to be the least attractive quality on planet Earth. Anybody agree with that? Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a cocky, like, good-look punk, punk 15-year-old or if you are like 50, 60, 70. Arrogance is, is oh my goodness. It is the least attractive quality anybody can have. And Paul says this, Tell those who are rich, if you are blessed, if you have, if you, <laughs> if you are blessed, if you are rich in this present world, that's okay. But he says, don't be arrogant about it. Don't be arrogant about it. And also he says this, don't put your hope in it. It's uncertain. It could change tomorrow your situation. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so, read it with me, it's so uncertain. But to tell these people rich in this day, to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And he says this, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds. You know, in this culture, when Paul writes these words to this young man, in the New Testament time, a rich person had, one, had, had more than one set of clothes. Did you hear that? In this culture, like when he's writing, when he says a rich person... He's saying a rich person is someone who has more than one set of clothes. That's what he's referring to. He says a, a rich person in this culture would be someone who has more than food for just today. 
So I kind of feel myself as much as I go, well, this doesn't apply to me. I got a whole set of clothes that don't even fit me anymore. Right? I got, I got plenty of food for tomorrow. I don't even know what's in the freezer. It's been there forever. We could make it work, right? So Paul says, tell them, don't put your hope in things, but command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to what? Somebody finish this off with me. To share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves, treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Number one, would you write this down? He says, man, if you got more than one set of clothes, don't be arrogant. If you got enough food to last you more than today, then don't put your hope in wealth. But here's what he says to do. Put your hope in God. He says, do good, be rich in your good deeds, and be willing to what? To share. Don't miss this. Would you write this down in your notes? When we give, when we give of our time, when we volunteer, when we serve God, when we strive to make impact for eternity, it recalibrates our heart. Would you write that down? Giving recalibrates the heart. Generosity is a reminder that eternity is my priority. If we're really, really honest, some of us shop at different places. Some of us love Walmart. Some of us love Target, and some of us love places that are whatever, right? But there's something in each of us. It doesn't matter what your favorite store is. It really doesn't, man. If you live in this country, there's something in each of us to a degree that each of us have this materialistic thing to some degree. We can't skip over this issue. We can't leave it unaddressed because that materialism, it, 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 it's corrosive, right? It, it causes corrosion. But when we give, oh my goodness, the Bible says that it recalibrates our thought, our heart. As we get ready to pray this morning and as we close, do you have a, I want to make sure everybody has a communion cup. Do you have your communion today? We're going to Hold on. to. If you need a communion cup, would you just raise your hands and Jen will, will make sure you have one. So just throw your hand up. It's all good. Maybe you came in late. But before we get into the, the crunch time, I want to just make sure everyone has communion. But here's what I want to close with. This Heaven series is over, right? We're going to move on. We're going to talk about some other things. But here's what I want to close with. God, as we close this series speaking about the hope for heaven, the hope for eternity, the promise of forever that you have prepared, that place that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully know what God has in store for those who are in Him. God, would you recalibrate my heart to see the changes I need to make today? This morning as we close, would you ask the Holy Spirit as we come before the table of the Lord to examine you? Say, God, I want to, where do I need a tune-up? Think of like an oil change type situation. The, the engine is still working. The car is still running. But there might be some little things that need to be tweaked. Maybe there's some major issues going on in your spiritual car engine. I don't know. But God, what changes do I need to make with my time, with my calendar? God, what changes do I need to make in my checking account? What changes do I need to make in my friendships? God, what changes do I need to make in my relationships or my marriage? What changes do I need to make in my thought life? God, recalibrate my heart. How do we recalibrate our heart? I think we look at what Paul did. It seems like he kept Jesus at the forefront, forefront of his thought life.
Seems like he would keep eternity at the forefront of his thought life. Would you bow your heads and could we close our eyes this morning as we close? It was a song that I, I remember hearing as a kid, and we're going to sing it together. And if you know this one, I want to invite you to lift your voice. And if you don't, it's so simple. Yet the message is what I want you to walk away with today. Because we only see the changes we need to make when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. And when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the struggle, the annoyances, the big problems, the small problems, the kid problems, the parent problems, whatever they are, it says they, they will grow strangely dim. In the light of the glory and in light of the grace that Jesus showed when he covered me with his blood. And he covered me with that sacrifice. Would you sing it with me? It says this. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace in the light of his glory and grace the things of this earth the things that are capturing my attention the things that have me stressed out the relationships that have my blood pressure high god help me turn my eyes Jesus. Come on, church, let's sing it together. Would you lift your voice? So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth and the things strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace so won't you today won't you turn your eyes upon Jesus look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth strangely dim and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace let's pray heavenly father we come we end this journey where we have spent weeks talking about heaven and God, despite the reality that there will always be a mystery to it, uh, there will always be more questions that we have and things that we feel like, God, I, I can't answer all that. But God, we know your word promises for certain that heaven will be amazing. God, your word promises that heaven will be wonderful. 
So God, help us to remember your desire to be with us, your desire to commune with us, your desire to, the, the creator wants to be with the created. God, you, you wanna be with us forever. God, God, help us to remember that you wanna be with your people. God, help us to remember how much he loves us. He loves us so much. Your word says that you sent Jesus for us. You sent your son to cover us. You sent your son to redeem us. And you, you did all that because your creation matters. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your life doesn't count, your life doesn't matter. I wanna tell you, maybe you hear this one thing, you matter, your life matters. You are valuable, you are precious in the sight of a holy God who knows you by name. The Bible says, while you were still in your mother's womb, he knew you. God, it only makes sense that as we come to the table of the Lord, that we inspect our hearts, that we challenge each other, God, to make sure we are taking heaven seriously. So the first thing I want to ask you before we take communion, the Bible says in 1 John 5, it says that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the first thing I wanna ask you before we come to the table of the Lord, I, I wanna ask you this morning, do you have the Son? you are you certain you're going to heaven that's a question we, we've got to ask are you certain you're going to heaven do you have the son do you have Jesus the Bible says if if you believe in him if you just acknowledge him that he will take up residency in your heart that your name will be written down and that you would be saved. I want to ask this morning, maybe you've, could, could you go ahead and go to the bathroom, uh, Miss Rita? Just, I just want to, could we open the door? Yeah, I, just, I don't want anything to distract from what I feel like God wants to do right now. If you're here this morning and church has not been your thing and this heaven has not been a hope, it's not even been a thought, it's probably been an afterthought. Maybe you've been living in such a way that, man, heaven is not even remotely something you have cared about. I wanna, I wanna tell you that the Bible says if you acknowledge Jesus, if you turn from those ways, if you just say, you know, yeah, I've blown it. Maybe you're one of those, like there's a lot of us, man, we grew up in church and we knew our parents did the right thing, they raised us the right way, they taught us the verses, and we went out and did our own thing. But you know, maybe there's some of you here that Jesus is calling you back. He's saying, come back, come home. He wants to say, welcome home. So that's the first thing I wanna ask you. Are you certain that you're going to heaven? Are you certain you have the Son? Do you have Jesus? 
the way to do that is simply to acknowledge him. One of the things I just like to do is just say, you know, one way just to acknowledge him is just to raise my hand, just to make eye contact, say, yes, you know, I, I want Jesus. If that's you this morning, if you want to say, I want Jesus, would you just lift your hand? One, two, and three. Would you just lift your hand to the Lord? I see you over there. I see you young ones over here. I see you back here. I see you over here. I think I see one in the back over here. Can we just pray? If your hand was lifted, or maybe you just made eye contact, or maybe you're at home and you just click the button on the screen, however that digital thing works. Would you just pray with me, church? Jesus, I acknowledge you. Come on, say it, church. Jesus, I acknowledge that you came for me. So I ask you to forgive me. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've done things my way. God, I want to represent you better. But I, more than that, God, I want you to lead me. God, I want you to take up residency in my life. I acknowledge you and invite you. In Jesus' holy name. God, I want, my, I want my name written down in that Lamb's Book of Life. Amen? The second thing this morning, and that's something to celebrate. We had some hands going up all over the room this morning. There's three things. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to ask you this question. Do your priorities and your passions reflect more of eternity or more of the temporary? There's a lot of us listening here this morning, and my hope and my prayer would be that your salvation that first question was not for you. I think there's a, like, there's a lot of us, right? Your citizenship, your place in heaven is a done deal. That, that issue of salvation is settled for you. I hope that, I think that's the case for many of us. That's why we're here. That's why we come and worship. We know that. So with that in mind, I want to ask you this. Are you bearing fruit? It's easy to get swept up with the things of the world. It's easy to let time just pass and we get into this accumulation phase of life and, and kids and we just kind of stop telling people or even bothering people with this name of Jesus. So here's the question. Do your passions and priorities reflect more of eternity or do they reflect more of the temporary? And one way to look at that, what, what does your calendar look like in that phone? What does your checking account look like in that phone? What does it say about eternal things? Because when we focus on heaven, it has to lead to some type of mid-course change in our situation. And then number three, the final question as we close before we take communion. Are there people that you care about that don't know about heaven? Are there people that you work with that don't know about heaven? And how can you step out and help? We know what the last year and a half has looked like in churches across the country. But if you believe what the Bible has to say about heaven, there's also reality. If you believe what the Bible says about heaven to be true, then you must believe what the Bible says about hell to be true as well. That it too is also a real place, a real destination. And it could just be a destination that people you love, people you know, people you work with, even people that you really, really love and care about, they may just be headed there. And I want to say this as we close. God has given you a voice. He's given you the tools. He's given you the talent. And most of all, He has given you the access. 
We live in a day where it is amazing to get to see the greatest preachers in the world on YouTube. I love Rick Warren. I love Stephen Furtick. I love the messages that they're good. I love stealing points from guys that are smarter than me. But the reality is, God has given you the access, not Stephen Furtick. He's given you the voice. He's given you the relationship with those you work with. He's given you the trust. They trust you. They don't trust some guy on YouTube to preach to them. That no one else, man, if, if, if no one shares the gospel with them, well, if it's not you, then who's it going to be? If it's not you taking a step, using your talent, your voice, your relationships, your trust, who's going to tell them? God wants to use you. He wants to use your pain. He wants to use your cancer. He wants to use your suffering. He wants to use your blessings. He wants to use your promotion. He wants to use your, 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 your family. He wants to use everything about you to draw people to Jesus. And when it comes to family, to neighbors, to coworkers, to people at the, to the gym, people at the coffee shop, wherever it is, do they believe or do they know that heaven is real? And if you don't tell them, who's gonna? If you don't share your story, who will they hear it from? And I would encourage you, share it in a real, vulnerable, <laughs> a real way, a non-offensive way, please, that would be great. But share your story with those who you've already built trust and relationships with. Because when we consider how real heaven is, how wonderful heaven is, how can we not share our story? Jesus was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. Would you take and would you eat and would you do this in remembrance of me? Would you take the bread this morning? And then he took the cup. So this is the cup of the new covenant. It represents his blood being shed for us. It represents covering. It represents forgiveness. It represents second chances. It represents wholeness. It represents access. So when we take it this morning, can we do it in remembrance of Jesus? I hope this series has challenged you or convicted you to make a mid-course correction. Amen? And when you get confused, when you get lost, when you get depressed this week, when you get frustrated with whoever it is about whatever, when you think of that song, would you stand to your feet? And here's the, the solution that we need when we talk about heaven. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Jesus. Look full, look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. God bless you. Would you go would you would you go running i don't know go openly honestly let's tell someone about heaven amen god bless you we will see you next time 
Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.